lot of times if you keep saying that you're okay, people believe that you're okay. And I should also say that saying, yes, I'll accept that support or yes, thank you, please. I appreciate that. Whatever version of allowing yourself to let go of it a little doesn't mean that you're not okay. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you today. I have an amazing guest. Her name is Elaine Fluker. Elaine has spoken at amazing companies, sharing her message of get over I got it syndrome. And we're going to dig into what that means, what that looks like, how that intersects with self-worth in this episode. Elaine not only shares her powerful wisdom, but she also shares some of her personal story in such an incredible way that I know you will resonate with. She talks about attempting suicide at age 15 and how she grew through that and healed from that. She also talks about her own dating life and using some of the skills and strategies that she shares in this episode in her personal life. It really is so uplifting and I know that it's going to resonate with you. She shares a powerful acronym using the word HELP to give you tools to let go of I got it syndrome. So this is an incredible episode. I know you're going to find it useful. It's going to resonate with you. It is rich and full of wisdom. So tune in and be sure to leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think. I am very excited to welcome Elaine Bucher to the podcast today. I had the honor of having a great conversation with Elaine on her own podcast and live streaming that she does, and it's wonderful to have her here on the podcast today. So let me tell you a little bit about Elaine, and then we will get into it. So Elaine Bucher is the author of a new book called Get Over I Got It, which is published by HarperCollins Leadership, where she encourages unapologetically ambitious women to learn how to embrace support, not only for their success, but also for their peace of mind. As a speaker at organizations such as LinkedIn, United Nations, the Women Presidents Organization, NYU, Columbia, Spelman College, and Howard University, that's an impressive list. She gives women a roadmap for making empowered ass and living a fulfilled life. Elaine is also the host of the Support is Sexy podcast, where she has interviewed more than 500 diverse women entrepreneurs around the world. So I am incredibly honored that you have taken the time to be here with me on the podcast. You have spoken at some really impressive organizations to, I know, some really impressive people. So thank you so much, for Elaine, for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, you are so impressive. I am excited to be here with you and to just share space with you. So thank you. And thank you for coming to speak to my audience as well. I think we had a good time. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was so Absolutely. much fun. Absolutely. 
So I'm going to start our conversation off as I start all of my guest conversations, which is by asking you to share a bit about your own self-worth journey. My own self-worth journey. That's what you want to know about. Okay. Wow. So this is going to be like a therapy session. Just so everybody's, <laughs> just everybody catch up real quick. <laughs> I'm just about to pour this out. Uh, what came up for me most immediately when you said that was about the younger me who didn't have a sense of, who wasn't aware that I didn't have a strong sense of self-worth, right? So I was doing all the things involved in all activities. It was a popular kid. I had plenty of friends and all those things. So I didn't have, I guess, what I would know now to be indicators that I had self-worth struggles. And I think I was on the, in most ways a confident kid, but it's funny how you still can, I think those two things, you let me know, Dr. Those two things can exist where you still might be struggling internally in some ways. Um, and part of my journey, which I, I actually talk about in the book, included getting to the point at age 15 where I didn't know how to manage those conflicting feelings. And mm. I attempted suicide when I was about 15 mm. years old. And it was just, you know, as I later came to know it was because of depression and other things and anxiety and not knowing how to, not knowing how to articulate some of the things that I was feeling or misunderstanding. It was, you know, if I have to say nobody's fault, my parents are one were and are wonderful. They're both in their 90s, thank God, and we're very close. Um, some of it might have been not wanting to disappoint them even, you know, so daring to say, mm-hmm. especially at that time in the little older. So this was like in the 80s or so. Um, being able to say, you know, something's not right and I don't, I don't know what's going on and I don't feel happy and I don't have a sense of self-worth. Mm. So I just mentioned that to share. Um, I know that's a sort of deep place to start from, but just to be honest about the journey looks different for all of us. And when you first said it, that was the first thing that came up for me. And I think, well, I know over time what has finally at this point today speaking to you, um, helped me become more grounded in my self-worth is one, having people around me who allow me to go to that place again of the scared little girl if needed, mm. whether that's therapist or coach or what have you, friends, loved one, people who love me and take care of me, but also people who hold me to my highest and say, mm. you know, I believe in you or even just I see you. It doesn't even have to be a pep talk. Sometimes it's just, well, girl, I hear you. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. Right. You don't always have to have the solution. So, yeah. So that's what my journey has looked like and look has looked like, excuse me. And um, I'm really happy at about where I am now today. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so honestly about that. I think, you know, it it really is possible to have high self-esteem, right? Sort of this sort of outward, like I can do well in school. I can make friends. I can do well in sports or extracurriculars while also struggling with low self-worth internally. And that's certainly something that I experience. And it sounds like it's what you experience. And I so appreciate you sharing that you, you know, attempted suicide because often it's such a taboo topic and Mm -hmm. so many people experience thoughts of wanting to die or kill themselves. So many people struggle with feeling worthy enough to be alive, to take up space. And so I'm so grateful that you shared that because often in the larger society, there's a sense that if you've attempted suicide or if you have suicidal thoughts, you're sort of way out of the norm and it means you'll never come back from it. And you're just, your life is just totally in disarray. When as a therapist, I know this because I work with people and I see sort of the insides of people's lives and understand their thinking that so many people who are accomplished who look like they have it all together, either young people or adults, 
still sort of are struggling and suffering in the way that you did as a teenager. And so I think it's such a beautiful example of being in a space that was so painful that you didn't know how to articulate. And it felt like death was the out. And thank God, you know, that didn't happen. And now you sort of have emerged from that learn, grown, you know, built a business for yourself that's so successful. And so I love that image, right? Of you had this low point, this time that was so difficult and you've emerged from and through that to now, you know, not only build a life for yourself and a business for yourself, but to help so many women also be able to be supported, supported and receive that support that they deserve and that they need. Thank you so much. And thank you for even just creating the space. I think it's just your energy that, which I'm sure your clients feel that it's just like, (laughs) I need to open up to her. She needs to know this about me. But no, honestly, thank you. Seriously. And and I think too, I love that you re-expressed what I said about it being, it was during a young, a time when I was younger, because sometimes some of us, maybe not as much now, but certainly at that time, it's like, you're a kid. What do you have to worry about? What do you have to? And sometimes it sometimes it is situational. I think that's the right word, right? Something's going mm-hmm. on, some kind of trauma in your life and you feel, you know, despondent about it. But then other times it's chemical, right? There's that's mm-hmm. and I think for me, or I've learned for me, I would experience what I call dips. Sometimes it sort mm-hmm. of feels like if you're on a roller coaster, you feel like you go down and then eventually you come back out of it. I thought everybody felt that. And I didn't realize until I'm I'm telling you, maybe three or four years ago, very recently, that oh, that's that's what I would experience. And when you go through it, especially again at that age, you know, you're first of all, you're a teenager. There was that right. and all the right. things that are going and on with that. And you experience these and dips and you don't know how to explain yeah. it. And everybody's telling you you're mm. so sensitive. So just to mm-hmm. to express again, whether anyone listening is going through it or you have a child that's experiencing these different, I mean, especially I don't even know how kids are surviving today. God bless them with social media and now the pandemic. I know it's just, it's hard for all of us. So yeah. So I did want to just share that. It's such a good point. And, you know, I think the issues that I struggled with as a kid and a teenager, feeling left out, feeling not accepted, feeling like people didn't like me. I cannot imagine imagine how much worse. That would be if I was on social media, like watching the parties that I was invited to. Exactly. Oh, I feel for the young people these days because it's at a least as an adult, right? Like we we feel it, but we have perspective. We have right, like there's some grounding in reality. Our brains are fully developed, <laughs> but when you're a teenager, it's it's just not, and you're not there yet, and it. Feel, it can feel like your whole world is falling apart. You're, you know, you're never going to make it out, right? Like to remember those emotions we had as teenagers where it was just like, it overtakes you. Absolutely. And I saw a report, was it a, was it in a doc? It was either a documentary or I read somewhere. I'll have to try to find it where they talk about though now how science uh, studies are showing that adults are as affected by the mm-hmm. same things they see on social media as, you know, kids are because there was such a worry and there still is about the same thing we're talking about teenagers and the influence of social media. But now they're showing the levels of stress and anxiety and those kind of things of how social media impacts us as adults, because it's still the compare and despair kind of situation. So we all have to be aware of that. I always say sometimes a pretty picture is just a pretty picture. Don't project all these things, all these feelings, right? It creates all these triggers for us. And it's like, no, they just had a great day on vacation. And that's maybe that's just it, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a new world. And I think we, 
we haven't quite figured out like what is the way to cope with it? Like what is the healthy balance of engaging in social media if you want to, but not going down rabbit holes and this leaving you feeling bad, leaving you feeling unworthy, leaving you feeling stressed and anxious. And, you know, I think we already have a tendency in American society to sort of set up a situation where you always have to get something else to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. Like get another achievement, get another car, get another house, get another purse, get another, right? Like it's always sort of the thing. And I think social media just magnifies that partly because you're sort of constantly in it constantly seeing it ads are mixed in with all the other stuff. And so, yeah, I think we are, we're going to kind of face a reckoning of how we navigate this because everybody feeling anxious and depressed is not healthy for the individual or society. And I think it goes back to your first question about self-worth and I guess maybe self-awareness. So even we're not saying, or I'm sure you're not saying never look at social media. You know, it's just a part of our lives. We all use it in different ways and that kind of thing. But what I'll speak for myself, for me, what's important for me to know when I'm starting to have those feelings, like to be self-aware and say, you know what, I need to put this down for a minute. I need to put that on the side. Or I need to just say congratulations to that person and get out of my own head of what their success means about me, you know? So just even being self-aware, and I think that comes with the self-worth, to know when you need a break from whatever it is that might be making you feel on edge is so important because sometimes I just post about this today. We just try to keep pushing through. And as you said, as Americans, we're programmed to push through and get, 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 achieve, achieve. And sometimes it's like, I just need to fall back for a minute. Just take a deep breath. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Right. It's like using with intention, right? Because part of what the apps do is grab your attention so that you are no longer sort of an agentic user. But, you know, for me, like I don't have notifications. So I don't have little red bubbles that pop up because I know if I see a little red bubble, I'm like a little red bubble at zero for my email. Like I don't, I'm going to click. And so that, and I don't have it pop up on my home screen. Right. So those are things that I've done. It's not perfect to be a little bit more intentional about when and how I engage in social media. Right. Like also there's like curate who you follow, right? If you see somebody's post and it bothers you and it always makes you feel unworthy and you always feel like, oh, why doesn't my body look like that? Or why don't I look like that? Or why don't I have that kind of partner? Well, you probably should unfollow them. That's right. right. Like, or if they're your friend, mute them so that you're not constantly sort of seeing their posts. So think being intentional about who are you following? What are you exposing yourself to? I think can be really helpful because then there's, there is some intention. And I really agree with you. The mindfulness of this is starting to irritate me. I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling, uh, let me get off. Like I know for me, I've been like more recently, like I'm just spending too much free time on social media. Ne- so it's like, if right. I'm waiting in a line or I'm sitting somewhere, it's like, no, like I'm not, I'm not just going to do that. I'm going to just sit and breathe or stand and breathe. And that has felt better than sort of always going to it. One of the things that um, was helpful to me and uh, something I wrote about this gentleman, uh, I was trying to think his name, Jordan Harbinger, I think is his name. Uh, he has a podcast and he talked about he was he talks a lot about networking and connection, making authentic connections. And he said what you just mentioned about if we're standing in the line, I mean, especially 
before, but now we're all getting back into lines and spaces and stuff. Or just sitting, waiting for your next meeting or whatever it is. In those few minutes, it could be a great time for a small, genuine connection with someone. So for example, if I'm, I, and I have done this, you're standing in the line and you're about to go on social media and you think, you know what, let me look back in my text messages and find someone. So not necessarily your girlfriend or someone that you're going to chat with for a long time. You can always do that. But say if I saw you and you and I hadn't talked in a couple months and I had your text message, I might say, hey, Dr. Adi, Adia, how's it going? What's new? What's going on? But, you know, anything going on with you? I just wanted to check on you. And then the key is to say, no need to reply right away, just checking in. So this way you give the person an out if they don't reply at all or if they don't reply right away. But it's a simple way of making a quick connection with someone just to say, hey, and I have gotten speaking engagements about that. After mm-hmm. doing that, I have gotten just another reconnection with someone. So it's someone that, you know, you might have spoken on a panel together or met at an event or a friend of a friend. And you're just checking in. And it's a way to make good use of that time where you feel like I am still connecting with people because that's what social media provides us, right? We get to see Mm -hmm. what else is going on with folks. But again, it's going back to that intention. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of like, there is something else you could do that actually would help you to feel more connected or reach out to someone in a way Mm -hmm. that feels feels meaningful. Well, I certainly feel like we could sort of talk about this all day. And I really want to get into sort of your specific area of expertise. And so you, a central message that you put out in the world is that women should get let go of this, I got it sort of syndrome or always feeling like they have to have it together. And so I'd love for you to talk about like, what, what does this look like when, when women are in this space of like, I got it, I got it, I got it. Right. What does that look like? What are the consequences and, and why is it problematic? Yeah, I think it looks like just what you said. We don't even realize it, whether it's, you know, actually expressed out loud or within ourselves. I got it. I got it. So I, I say I got it syndrome is every time someone offers you support, you're saying, I got it. It's okay. I got it. No, no, I got it without even thinking about it. And this Mm -hmm. goes from everything from someone helping you carry your groceries to the car. You know, the person who actually works at the store and who was paid to help you carry your groceries to the car. (laughs) I've said to the the car, I said, I've got it to that person to, you know, working on a big project at work to someone in your family, your husband or your wife or your partner, whoever. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. And next thing you know, you've taken on all of this weight and then you're wondering why you're stressed out and why you have anxiety and why you feel like no one ever supports you. And Mm. sometimes the thing, one of the consequences of I got it is that people think, oh, I thought you had it. And not because they're being dismissive or Mm -hmm. passive aggressive or anything like that. But a lot of times, if you keep saying that you're okay, people believe that you're okay. And I should also say that saying, yes, I'll accept that support or yes, thank you, please. I appreciate that. Whatever version of allowing yourself to let go of it a little doesn't mean that you're not okay. You know, doesn't mean that you're weak. Doesn't mean that you can't be the great mom or the great businesswoman or the great, you know, whatever thing it is that you're doing. So that's one of the things that I want to make sure to express, especially to ambitious women. I always say, I know you got it going on. I know you can do all the things, but do you really have to do it? And what Mm -hmm. uh, a phrase I like to go back to is having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. And I Mm. think as we talked about earlier, we're all fed this idea of, oh, I got to do this, 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 this and that. Maybe you doing all those things, but does it have to be you doing it all alone? Is it even productive for you to do that? Is it healthy for you to do that? And then how can you open yourself up to support in your life? So not only for success, but also for peace of mind. Yeah, I love the 
having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. I think that's so important. And I think, you know, so many women, I think in particular, I mean, I certainly can speak to black women. I think often by POC women, right. Feel like, like are socialized into, you've got to handle it all yourself, right? We witnessed our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunts, always taking on everything, being the one that everybody else turned to, to handle things. And it can be really easy to sort of fall into those roles and create patterns, whether it's at work or in personal lives where, you know, we are the go-to, we are the one who handles it. We are the one who keeps it up. And at first it can feel good, right? There can be some sense of pride, a badge of honor around like, I got it. I've got it all together. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to fix it. If I didn't get it, things would fall apart, right? So sometimes I think from a psychological perspective, there can be an attachment to an identity of I'm the one who handles it. I'm the one who gets it. I'm the one who makes it happen. And then also a resentment around being in that role. And I wonder if, you know, in your coaching of women, in your work with women, if you've seen that people have been sort of attached to the badge of honor or attached to this identity of, I got it. So that it's it's partly about helping them to ask for help or accept help, but also about them like releasing the attachment to that identity. Absolutely. And I think that's the key word that you just said. It becomes part of your identity. And then when something does fall through the cracks or whatever one of language you want to use around that, you feel like you're coming undone. Like it says something about you as a person or it says something about your ability, again, to be a good mom or a wife or, you know, whatever things that you're doing. If you start to, because things are eventually going to fall through the cracks if you're trying to do it all by yourself because you only have a certain amount of capacity, right? So whether that's literally something falling through the cracks or a mental impact or anxiety or a level of stress that triggers some other physical things in your body. So when we are so attached to the identity of I'm the person that does everything, and then we begin to wear that mask, and then we begin to even have fear, even if it doesn't fall apart, you have fear about someone thinking that it's falling apart, you know, so we get wrapped up in all of this. But one thing I I do want to mention or just acknowledge, especially for Black women, speaking as a Black woman, there might be I don't want to say reasons, but I understand, right? So you think about if you're going into the office in corporate as a Black woman, you certainly, or even just living your life, encounter microaggressions out the wazoo, right? Or you know that you and Chip were up for the same job and Chip is three years. You train, you train Chip. You train Chip for the job and Chip got the promotion and you didn't. And you're trying to explain or trying to understand from your boss what happened? Why didn't I get it? And your boss is telling you people just don't feel comfortable around you or saying statements about, you know, I've heard all kinds of things from my girlfriends who were in corporate. And I remember my time in, in corporate and media being said, told things that seemed innocent enough, but they were really, you know, microaggressions or sometimes overt aggression, right? So there are things. And then we look at just the historical trauma of what we've been through, you know, as Black people in the United States and being brought to the United States if you're descendant of enslaved Africans and just the trauma that has been passed on from generation of being afraid to, or not even afraid to, punished if you ask for anything, you know? So there's a lot of things there to just acknowledge why this might be something that has been passed on to us from for generations, especially the women who would hold the family together and the women who would do, you know, be responsible for children, just all these historical things. And then again, today in our society, that said, we can't continue like that. Right. So yeah, that's something love, that's important to acknowledge. 
I love that you sort of brought up the context because I think it's so important. And one of the things I often say on the podcast is, I'm not saying this so that you can use it to criticize yourself. Right. Right. So the, the point isn't to be like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be saying I got it all the time and I do that and oh, what's wrong with me? Right. Like that's not the point. Right. But that, yeah, there's a lot of things that drive us to feeling like we have to have it all together because if we don't, will we be promoted? Will we be fired? Right. Like, you know what I mean? All of these things and, and inherently asking for and receiving help is vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's often if we have a trauma history or if we have an experience potentially of asking for help or people taking advantage of us, it can feel unsafe to be vulnerable in that way. And so being kind and compassionate, those are things I preach all the time, right, to yourself as you're learning to receive help and knowing that this is an adjustment, that it makes sense that you've sort of learned this way of being of self-sufficiency because that likely makes you feel safe and secure. And also knowing like it may have gotten you to a certain point, it may have gotten you this far. But as Elaine was mentioning, you know, if you're experiencing stress and anxiety and burnout and physical health concerns and all of this, those are signs that something different has to happen moving forward. Yeah. And I think one of the things I love that you just mentioned about safety, that's what's so important. And I, and I, for me in my work, you know, working with individuals, which I will continue to do, but as I mentioned to you before we started, just looking at working more with corporations, organizations, uh, groups like that, that have women within their ranks, if you will, and helping them create psychologically safe spaces where women can feel like they can ask for support, where they can say, this is what I need right now. This is what's going on. Or I'm one advance, what do I need to do? So I think, you know, maybe this is just, I always get this way towards going into a new year, especially I know we'll be in a new year when we um, air this, but just for me, it's just thinking about how can I really, how can I impact things from both sides? All right. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to tell women, black women, women of color, all women really to ask for support and make sure you get, you know, the things that you need. And then for her to go into her daily life with the challenges that still exist that we just talked about, where it's not safe or she doesn't feel like it's safe you know, for her to ask for support. And I think me learning to acknowledge that in between is sort of like, well, what can I do to help that side so that, again, these different places where these women have to exist in our world and just really in the places we have to interact day to day so that those can feel safe as well. So that I'm glad you mentioned that because that's very important too. Yeah, I think it's like coming from both ends, right? How do you shift the context and the culture and also support individuals to better advocate for themselves, to be empowered, to thrive in a range of contexts. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, this is already so rich and (laughs) useful, and I think it's really going to resonate with a lot of people. And I'd love to hear your reflections on how you think, you know, people or women who sort of have this, I got it syndrome, how you think that might intersect with issues with self-worth or struggles with low self-worth? I think sort of what we touched on before, this idea for some of us that if I don't do it all, this will mean this about me. So I'll share my own story just again, going back to childhood. I didn't learn this until later on in therapy, but my parents um, are very much, they still are, but they definitely were when I was younger, the go-to people in our family if there are any issues. My house in, in Long Island or our house in Long Island was the home that everyone came to when something was going on, right? Life was lifing. People were, you know, somebody's on drugs. The kid's got to come stay with us. Somebody's being abused. She's going to come 
stay with us. Somebody's doing, you know, lost their job, whatever it was. It was just that house was was that house. And uh, my mom is the oldest of all of her siblings. My dad's the only child. So it was just always, you know, people coming through. The thing was for me, I was the youngest. I'm 17 years apart from my sister. So, you know, I was mm-hmm. a old baby. So my parents were in their 40s when they had me, but they treated me like a little adult, my mom always says. So they would tell me, this is what's going on with, you know, your cousin or whoever. They're going to come live with us because of it. You know, and I, oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I understood and that it was what it was. What I realized later though, is that I associated support with crisis. Mm. So for me, whenever someone came or needed help, it wasn't even, you know, I didn't have the language of vulnerability and all those things at that time. But I, in my little, you know, young mind associated, you get support when you're weak or something's going wrong or there's some kind of crisis. And again, it wasn't until later in therapy, in a safe space, where I realized, oh my God, I I never realized that. And then there might've been, uh, which I actually am just thinking about this now, Even though I was saying, yes, yes, okay, I understand when I was little, there probably was some level of resentment, like, well, I'm trying to do everything right. And then everybody else gets all the, you know, Mm -hmm. attention and support. So we have to look at, I mentioned that just to say, we have to look at what our view of support is and what that might, Mm -hmm. what we, what our uh, perception of it is and how we're, we might be avoiding it just because we think it's going to somehow, you know, crack the armor if you will, um, and then have a healthy, really a healthy relationship with support. Because again, this is, we're speaking to ambitious women here. This isn't so that you can just, I mean, we want you to fall back a little bit, but it isn't like you're going to fall off because you're not doing all these things in the long, if productivity is your goal, okay, we'll give you that. This helps you be more productive. If bettering your relationship is your goal, you know, if you think about this, your spouse always say to you, oh, I never take out the trash or I never do this because you always, you know, I never mm. help arrange vacation because you always, Say you got it, but then you're mad because they never help you, you know. So we have to look at (laughs) we have to look at our part in the relation in our relationship to support. Yeah. Oh, I I so appreciate that you shared your story of like how you understand your uh, how you understood help and what Mm -hmm. it meant to get help, and you know maybe how it inconvenienced people, how you know it comes in a crisis how you made sense of that in, you know, your family experience. And I think it's such a good point that you're pointing out, which is what narrative do you have yeah. about support? What meaning do you make around support, right? Were you told as a kid, why are you always asking for help? Were you, you know, was it shown that the way to be a good woman or a good man or a good person, right? Like that is that you need to be self-sufficient, right? And so I think sort of excavating that and looking at what messages have I received and taken on around support that affect my ability to access support now. And the great thing is you now get to decide how you want to think about it. Right. And it may take a little dismantling. It may take a little practice to get into a new way of thinking about support. But now the choice is yours. Right. As a kid, we're sort of fed messages. We have kid brains. We make sense of things the way we make sense of them. But as adults, we can say, this is what I believed previously because these reasons. And this is what I am choosing to believe moving forward. And I think that's a really powerful shift that will allow people to feel like, you know what? No, I'm worthy of support or support doesn't totally inconvenience everyone around me or support doesn't mean somebody's taking over my life. It can mean that I'm asking for a little bit of help in this way so that I take care of myself and, you know, I actually empower someone else within that. But there's all of these positive possibilities around it. 
Yeah, I would love to share actually. You so good. This is so good with possibilities. It's the perfect. I was just thinking of the sort of um, framework, or I would say a reminder that I often give to women to help them remember how to ask for support or in those moments where you're about to say, I got it. Like just think of the acronym HELP. Right. So the H, as we talked about earlier, is having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. And we spoke about what that means. You, you don't have anything to prove. You, I'm sure you've probably done 25 things today by the time you're listening to this, whatever it is. Like, you're good. You have nothing to prove. So just remember, having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. The E is asking empowered questions. So not questions like we said with social media. Why am I so stupid? Why haven't I done this already? Why are they so much far ahead of me? Why is my business as big? OK, those are not empowering questions. Empowering questions might be, what's some way that I can get on the radar to do more speaking engagement for corporations? I wonder who's someone I can follow who would be an inspiration to me right now. How can I seek help, therapy, or whatever I need to have support? What's the way that I can make my relationship better? Those are more inspiring Mm. or empowering questions, right? So it's not being all self-critical. It's how can I grow and evolve and learn more about this thing? Then the L is to let go of the how and live the question. So letting go of the how is not becoming too, you know, which is hard for a lot of us, especially, you know, us black women, hard for us to let go of the how of trying to overmanage the mm-hmm. thing. So it's not saying don't have a plan, but do you have some space for serendipity? Do you have some space for some surprises? Do you have some space for someone unexpected or something unexpected to show up for you? And the way you do that is the second part of that, live the question. So that's something I got from Patricia Moreno, who is the creator of a workout called Intensati. And a lifestyle, really. And she was on my podcast very early on, episode 26, I think it was. And she mentioned this idea when she was trying to figure out how to create the program. She got to the space where she had to live the question. And that just resonated with me so much. She talked about all this other stuff that just stuck with me. That was 2016. So for years, this Mm -hmm. idea of a lot of us, we either get paid to have the answers or we're uh, moms and we have to have the answers or we're the big sister or we're the little sister and just people come to us for the answers. So it could be scary as we talk about safe spaces. It might be scary to actually say, I'm just going to live this question. So one of the things I did recently is write in my journal, these are all the questions I'm living right now. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't answer them. That's the hard mm-hmm. part. So you have to say, what's a way that I can um, get into a healthy, loving, kind, generous relationship with the love of my life? Mm-hmm. And you just... Mm-hmm. Right. So we're always trying to, I need to do this. I need to date. I need to do, okay. Yeah, maybe, but what even just let's take a few days and just let that question live out there. So I often say now that's the question I'm living right now. And I will tell you it's not voodoo or hoodoo or woo woo, but it always (laughs) works. I'm telling every time the answer or an inspiration or just even a little breadcrumb shows up. And it's because Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can speak more to the, the scientific angle of it. But just like if you say, I love Jeep Wranglers, which is mine, right? A red Jeep Wrangler. I love Jeep Wranglers. And all of a sudden, I start seeing mm-hmm. all the red Jeep Wranglers, right? We've mm-hmm. talked about this. Or, oh, I want to get pregnant. Oh my gosh, there's so many pregnant women. No, there, there's the same number that there were. <laughs> but your mind is just activated to look for these things. So that's what that is about. The last part is what you mentioned, possibilities. Believing in the possibilities. So you can't have all these other things, but then not believe in the possibility of support showing up. For you. And it might mm. not come from that person you either thought it might come from or you wanted it to come from. You know, sometimes I think, as we talked about earlier, you're disappointed because this person or this thing didn't support you the way you thought. But then a shift in possibility and being open will make it come from somewhere you never expected. 
So that's what I share as a way for us to try to just remember, pause for a second and just think about the acronym HELP. Having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. Ask those empowering questions, let go of the how and live the question, and then believe in the possibility. Oh man, I love that. (laughs) I love all the parts. Oh, good. Good. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, which ones do I want to talk about? I'm like, I I want to talk about all them. (laughs) So, I mean, we talked about the first one. Having it all does not mean having to do it all yourself. I love the empowering questions, right? Because so often we can get into this space of victimhood. Why me? Why is this? right? And that is just a very disempowered place. Why are they doing that? Why do they always act that way? And I think some of the, one of the things we touched on is, you know, when you are the helper or the over-functioner, as we might say in psychology, which means you over-function for people, mm. you pull for others who under-function. You attract under-functioners. Say that again. When, when you, you over-function, right? When you do more than your share and okay, so-and-so and I are going to hang out and I schedule it and I find the place and I arrange their transportation and I do, 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 do right? You are enabling them to underfunction. <gasps> wow. And so we create a pattern and then we also attract underfunctioners. Yes. Right? And then we're like, huh, why do I always get to do everything? never do anything. <laughs> oh, they're so, blah, blah, blah. right? And so an empowered question might be like, this is interesting. What about what I am doing contributes to this dynamic? And then just let that question. Right. Like how, and not what's wrong with me. Oh, I should have, but like, how might I be contributing to it? Right. That's an empowered question because guess what? You cannot change the other people in your life, but you can change you. Right. And that's empowering. So I love, I love the empowered questions. I love the living the question. Wait. The L. Yeah. yeah. Living the question. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny because I heard that from somebody else, Krista Tippett. She has a podcast called on being, and she talks about living the questions. And I think what it evokes for me is like this trust that something outside of your control and knowledge will come and help you. Right. And so, and depending on your faith or religious tradition, that might be God. It might be the universe. It might be a higher power, but it's sort of saying, Hey, here's something that I would like. I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but I believe it can. And so I'm going to live out and, and expect that answers will come, expect that signs and signals will come. And I'm going to look for them and right. I'm going to be open to them, which is very different, right? What you said, I'm, I'm living the question of how can I be in a loving, fulfilled partnership is very different than there's no men out there. All the good right. men are taken. <laughs> Why can't it's I find anybody? Happen, right. And, <laughs> exactly. and this is the thing, right? Let's think about like, where are you when that's your attitude? I understand that sometimes pain puts us there, trauma puts us there, but it's very closed. And if you walk around saying, mm, there, I'm making a kind of a scrunched up face <laughs> for those who are listening, but like, ain't nothing, there's nobody, all the good men, everybody's just, mm, 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 mm. right. Your energy like, is- <laughs> are you really going to attract your loving partner? You know, exactly. in that space or an openness, like, okay, like, hmm, where are they going to come from? Exactly. Or what it's going to be like, what's going to lead me to, you know, curiosity, which is just such a beautiful way to live life. And then the P, now I don't remember. Believe in the possibilities. Possibilities. Yes. It's like positive expectation and possibility. So I, I'm so glad you shared that. I love awesome. it. I hope y'all are taking notes. 
I bet you have it on your website. We're going to tell people to go to your website because it's so good. It's so, oh, it's me. It's good. I love it. And it all goes back to self-worth. All of those things, especially believing in the possibilities or living the question and knowing it'll show up for you. And that goes to just creating that energy of just, I am worthy of this. The universe is here to support me, right? As Gabrielle Bernstein says, the universe has my back. This is going to work. It's not saying don't do all the, like you say, you're doing all the other things, but how can you be open and create space or support to show up for you. Yeah, I think that's so true because when we feel unworthy or when life becomes about proving our self-worth, we tighten and yeah. we have to like figure it, but I have to figure it out right now because if I don't, then maybe I'm not worthy and maybe I'm not good enough and maybe it'll never come. And right, like that was the anxiety that I had for years, especially about dating and relationships of this. I've got to find somebody. I've got to find somebody because I don't know if I'm lovable and I don't know if I'm worthy. And so maybe if I find someone, it'll disprove it, right? And it's just all this anxiety around it. But as soon as I really embrace my unconditional self-worth, it's just like I could relax, mm-hmm. right? And, and then you can sort of move through life from a de- an empowered way, from a way where you're sort of accepting it all without feeling like I've got to work hard. I've got to work to the bone to get it all right. Where you feel like there's so many possibilities. To make it happen. Exactly. So I think that's, that's so spot on. So spot I'm gonna, on. If we have time, I'm going to share my business real quick since I already share. started off sharing my business. Okay. Real quick, real quick. So we're talking about relationships. So hopefully this will, hopefully this will bless someone. I went to see, I go see a coach every Wednesday, Margo, and I was talking to her about relationships. I had been dating at the time and, you know, dating over the, the past year more probably than ever. Um, and I was dating another guy that I really liked a lot. We got along great. We had a lot of fun together. I'm from New York. He's from New York. We're both here in Georgia. We laugh a lot. You know, just, it just seemed really great. But there was something, I don't know. We mm. just weren't like, there just wasn't a connect. And of course, everybody, well, not everybody, but you know, if I share with friends, yeah, great. But I don't know. We had such a, we had gone away to DC together, had so much fun, like laughed until we cried. There were all the reasons that you would be like, well, of course you have to be with, I was in that question, like, I don't know what it is. I wonder what it is. So I was talking to my coach about it. And then not, not just because of this person, but as you talked about, we were looking at patterns of the men that I had dated so far. And I realized I was attracting. So as you said, what is my role in this? I was attracting narcissistic men, not Mm. bad people, not, you know, no one was Maybe one was, but no one was you know, really mean. And I know when people hear narcissists, they think the worst. And as you know, it's personality disorder and a lot of reasons people become narcissists. So, and I think part of it is a defense mechanism. But anyway, I was, it didn't work for me. So I would mm-hmm. always get to the point, but I was, which is, you bless me with this over-functioning thing in relationships, trying to be like, make this person happy, let this person feel like the star and I'm going to play the background mm-hmm. and all these other things that I didn't realize I was comforting myself to mm-hmm. make relationships like that work. And the only common denominator in those relationships were me. I was a common denominator. So I got to another. So anyway, that Wednesday, she and I talked. She was like, you need to tell this person, you know, it's not working. You, we both, you could feel that, it, but we probably would have dragged mm-hmm. it on for another few months. I came home. I called him. We talked. We laughed about it. He's like, I know. I don't know what it is. I went like, you're a narcissist. That's what it is. Anyway, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> I know what it is. But anyway, we're just like, yeah, well, let's just, just, you know, it's cool. We had a great time. We're still fine. That was Wednesday. So, of course, the next couple of days, I'm thinking, womp, womp. I had to, you know, break up with someone again. Friday, I go to the chiropractor real quick. She tells me, long story short, you need to relax. Something's going on. You have all this stress in your back. You know, this weekend, she says, I only want you to do nourishing things. I don't want you to go do a hard workout because I'm thinking, great, I'll go for a run. She's like, no child. 
nourishing, easy, gentle things. So Saturday, I go to a fair down the street from my house with my neighbors, my lovely neighbors, Ginger and Allison. We walk and, you know, walk a little bit. I was like, oh, that's perfect. I'm gonna go back home. During that time, one of them asked me about the guy I was dating. And I told them about, oh, you know what? I don't know. We decided it wasn't really a connection. It was hard to let go. And sometimes we hold on to things just because they should be right. Even mm-hmm. though they're not right. Right. So I was, but I was nervous. I won't say I wasn't nervous. Like, oh my God, am I ever going to, that's Saturday. Sunday, Allison tells me, sends me a message and says, do you remember there was a guy at the fair yesterday and he was with his daughter and he saw, I, I didn't remember at all. He saw you. He really wants to get in touch with you. He's a great guy. Do you want to talk to him? We've been mm-hmm. dating for two months now. Mm-hmm. And he's a, a fabulous guy and nice. totally opposite from the other because he's very generous, very much mm. okay with being in the background, which I didn't even know that I needed until I had that conversation. You no, know, I'm not a very out front all the time person, but we have moments. It's a public facing work and that kind of thing. Needed someone who understood that, has a family, just all these other things. And no matter what happens, I am like, I realize because of that conversation mm. and reflecting on myself, what is it about me? And then Margot says, uh, the universe rewards courage. Being able to let go of what wasn't working, even though everybody's like, but I don't understand. You guys have so much fun. Your pictures are so cute. You know, so mm-hmm. I just want to share that as a opening yourself up, believing in the possibilities, letting go of the high. I definitely didn't know how he saw me from down the street, he says, and, you know, got in touch, tracked her down, got her number to get in touch with me. So it just is a way I never thought that would happen. But just as an example for folks to feel, you know, it, it can happen. Who knows what's oh, going to happen? I love I'll it. Keep you posted, but it can <laughs> keep you posted. Keep you posted. I, I love it. I mean, I just thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. You have been a wonderful guest because you share <laughs> so openly. So all the. Business. I mean, I think yes, it's like letting go of something that's good because you know that it's not great, and your internal wisdom, your intuition says yeah. something's off, and trusting yourself. Right. Trusting yourself with that and saying, you know what, like and and not blowing it up because so many people blow up, like create a problem and a mess. That's right. We hate each other and we mess. Right. But the fact that you let it go in an honorable way, in a way that honored the connection you did have and the fun you did have. Right. You you just talk to him. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you could just let it go because that also led the way for you being in a space, in, a, in an energy and a presence that allowed somebody to see you and say, I want to spend time with her. Yep. Right. I and swear, that is so right. You done didn't that. come out of that like, oh, this is all I'm depressed. You know, just it was like, all right. Like that wasn't it. I enjoyed it, but that wasn't it. Just allowed you to, yes, be open. Oh, gave me chills. I love it. <laughs> and one of the things that, I say, um, and I don't know if this is right to say, but I was explaining to someone, I might have been them that day when we were walking back about playing hurt. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, grew up as an athlete um, and still as athletic as I can be. As you heard, my back is acting crazy. So not as much as I used to be. My back is like, calm it down. But anyway, um, this idea of playing hurt. So if you see, you know, basketball players, whoever, they might break a thumb, but you got to bandage it up and, you know, a, a wrist and ankle. And I know we're saying get over it. We're not saying play injured until you really hurt yourself or you can't. But sometimes, at least in relationships like that, it was like, okay, that, you know, I was disappointed. It wasn't as hurt because I think, as you said, I ended it honorably. And he was like, yeah, you know, we agreed, actually. It was a mutual, we had a great time. You're a really great person, you know, no, no hard feelings. But I was playing hurt. Mm. Even, even saying yes to going out with 
the gentleman I mentioned on uh, that Sunday, we went out that Monday, we talked that Sunday, went out that Monday. And then, you know, it's just been on since then. But it was just like, yeah, do I really feel like seeing something? Mm -hmm. But okay, hey, that's nice. He talked, and my neighbor said, you know, it was just like, yeah, it's just taking the opportunity. Let's just see, just being Mm -hmm. open. Didn't have any expectations. I hadn't seen them, you know? So it was just almost like a blind date for me. And yeah, so there's there's that part of it too. So it's not that, you know, sometimes sometimes we do have to take a break, obviously, and get some space. But I know with the dating in my experience the past year, it's like, sometimes you got to play hurt. Okay, that last mm-hmm. guy ghosted you. What can we learn from this? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. What there can we, we go back to help this? the acronym. Exactly. And the self-worth thing, yeah. Well, I wish that we had more time, but we are I sort know. of at the end of our time. And oh, it has been such session. a joy. <laughs> We'll have to do it again. It's such a joy, Elaine. I mean, you what you shared, just both in terms of your personal story, in terms of your wisdom, your expertise has been so rich and powerful. And I know that it is going to be really wonderful for our listeners. And I know that people are going to want to get in touch with you, right? So if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, this woman needs to come to my job and give a workshop or (laughs) how do I get in touch with her, right? Like I know that people are going to want to know how to do that. So let people know how they can stay in touch with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for creating this space for the conversation. And I just love talking to you each time we connect. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, please go to elainefluker.com and I'm sure you'll have links to it, but just my name.com. It'll have all the ways to work with me, all the ways to have me come speak at your organization. If that's something you're interested in, I would love to hear from you. And please also follow me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where I'm spending most of my time these days. I'm on all the other things just because, you know, you're on the things. But I really love connecting with folks on LinkedIn. That's where we had our conversation um, initially on LinkedIn. And that's at Elaine Fluker also. Awesome. Well, perfect. And we will link everything in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. This is amazing. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Goodin. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Waterboy.